MSW Media. News was wearing daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, June 17th, 2020. Today, Trump's police reform executive order is bullshit. An armed right-wing militia fires shots at an Albuquerque protester, leaving one man in critical condition. The FBI and Department of Justice will now investigate the hanging deaths of two black men in California. A small Ohio town's Black Lives Matter event is overrun by armed assholes. Fauci admits that uh, they didn't tell the public to wear masks because it would expose the national shortage. The House Coronavirus Task Force launches an investigation into nursing homes. More details emerge as to why Mnuchin is fighting Congress over coronavirus business payments. Pence tells governors to repeat misleading claims on outbreaks, saying it's due to testing. Trump tells the press corps that if we stopped testing, we'd have fewer cases. And a House vote on statehood for the District of Columbia will take place in 10 days. I'm your host, A.G. Hello, everyone. This is A.G. Uh, It is me today, and uh, we're going to have Jordan send in an update um, on, you know, in the A block. So she's got a few stories that she's going to share with you. And then later in the show, I'm going to be talking to Glenn Kirshner because Gerald Nadler, uh, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, has subpoenaed uh, former Mueller team member Zelensky, Aaron Zelensky, um, who worked on the Roger Stone case and then withdrew when the DOJ, like, jumped in and, and you know, wanted to recommend a much lighter sentence for Trump's friend. Uh, And then uh, a guy named Elias, who uh, works in antitrust, and he, you know, he's got some things that he needs to, he wants to, I guess Nadler wants him to testify about. Um, So it's going to be an interesting discussion, and uh, a little bit of Mueller, a little bit of old Mueller, OG Mueller, uh, coming in for the interview. So excited to have that happen. And uh, let's see, we need a theme. Oh, we need a theme for this Friday's live stream Q&A happy hour bonanza. Uh, so if you could recommend a theme to us, hit us up on Twitter at Daily Beans Pod, or um, you can send us a, a message on Patreon or in the Facebook group, or you can go to MullerSheWrote.com or TheDailyBeansPod.com, click on contact and send us information that way. Or you can just hit me up personally on, on my Twitter account. I run the at MullerSheWrote account and we just need a theme. We did Pride last week and we need a good theme this week. So let us know your ideas and then join us. It's at 4 p.m. Pacific on Friday, live stream. Uh, that's for patrons. And then we open it up to the public at 5 p.m. Pacific time. And we do that because we know not everybody is able to be a contributor. And I wanted to thank a couple of, we have so many awesome listeners and we have some patrons that have upped their patronage, their monthly amount, um, their monthly donation, so that others can become patrons who might be out of work right now because of COVID or or otherwise struggling. Um, so um, hit us up if you have if you want to have any information, get any information about that. You can do that uh, by sending us an email using that contact form on the website. It's probably the best way to do it. So uh, without further ado, we do have a lot of news to get to, as you could tell by the lengthy introduction. Um, with they had many swears in it today. I think I should make it a a goal to to put at least a couple of swears in the intro. Um, but let's kick it off with hot notes. Hot notes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Jordan's Corn Beans. I have got a few stories today for you in the A block, as we call it in the industry. Um, 
All right, my first story is about Trump and his executive action that he signed today that was uh, his pitiful, pitiful, pitiful attempt, if you can even call it that, at addressing police brutality in America and the call to defend black lives all over the world. He took this as an opportunity to give some watered-down bullshit, the most watered-down bullshit, while simultaneously praising and praising and praising police um, across the board and still committing to this idea that it is only a few bad apples that wind up resulting in the deaths of so many. So he gave the announcement in his... uh, rose garden and he basically the 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 things that he actually announced in the order um were this they are going to he said they want police departments to establish credentialing programs and follow standard best practices um i mean again these are just like the things that we've seen police departments try to do over time and not really uh, lead to to change. Unfortunately, a lot of, you know, someone doing a one-day training on, I was going to say anti-racism, but it's definitely not anti-racism training. It's just, you know, you probably shouldn't, shouldn't do this, this kind of stuff, guys, <laughs> you know, being taught by their boys how to apparently not support their boys when they're being shitty. It seems like it's, it's from what I've heard, the programs, uh, and please provide me with examples that prove otherwise, but I've just heard a lot of these things are like short, short seminars, not long enough, not extensive enough, not involved enough uh, on, you know, how to not be racist as a police officer, basically, or how to not use excessive force and I can't I don't think it's really sensical to imagine a huge amount of change coming from just programs that are like that these one or two day long programs I don't I don't think we are anywhere near the data point at which we can say that those trainings or credentialing programs should be the number one thing that we do to address systemic racism and police in the country and abroad um but obviously we're only dealing with our laws here but but that's what he's saying more of the same essentially same it's the same lip service that legislators always give when it comes to this issue and they're not people are just not going to accept that any longer hence the protests and i don't think that this has done anything other than just you know i mean it's an incredibly predictable response by him but Another thing that they put in there, oh, also apparently, I say by him, apparently Trump was barely even involved in the establishment of this document or any of the conversations that went into drafting it. So I guess Kushner is the one that was mainly working on this and it's, again, reflective of that. But yeah, Trump didn't do shit, apparently. He said that he met with a lot of the families of black men and women uh, who have died and that there was there was reports of Trump being very visibly moved in the room talking to these families and then when he got out on stage i think i read somewhere that it was just an hour before his speech he he was talking to some of the families and he referenced those families and he referenced 
being with them in that room and you know that his heart is with them and he's going to fight for justice for all Americans and I just think it's absolutely disgusting that he's going to meet with those families an hour before coming out and essentially defending the status quo that is essentially what this did he said he was going to ban chokeholds except in the case when the officer's life is at risk which is a huge asterisk that basically strikes through that entire order i'm fairly certain that is a fair thing to say um i mean that that's the issue with qualified immunity right now is if an officer says that they felt that their life was in danger or that they felt that they were acting you know correctly in the capacity of a police officer then they cannot be held responsible for what they did and it's just like that's obviously a weak 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 condemnation of that behavior that explicitly from the outset gives you a loophole to not follow that protocol um he also he so that that's like those are that's kind of some of the stuff that he put in there just policy wise or order order wise but then there was this whole other element of the appearance that was incredibly rhetorical and just spanned the gamut from you know he was talking about the stock market doing well entirely inappropriate as a topic uh he's talking about that he was talking about how police are are you know essential and um he brought up the first responders during 9-11 and he said you know this country can't forget the heroism of of the people in this work um but he tied that directly into the narrative of defund police cries being not based in evidence of racism that actually exists that republicans are just refusing to acknowledge is real um that he entirely distorted the arguments of defund the police and took it as an opportunity to say you know these people are bad and want to defund the police the police that are these heroes he he said that instead of trying to even remotely show any understanding of what it is people are calling for when they say defund police he said that americans believe we must support the brave men and women in blue who police our streets and keep us safe. Obviously, police unions are a huge reason why Trump and people like him get elected. Unfortunately, it's because of the GOP's unrelenting dedication to this kind of across-the-board rhetoric with zero actual criticisms of the system as a whole. We saw today at the Senate Judiciary Committee when we had Cornyn, I say we, gross, not associating myself with these people, but Cornyn and Cruz took their time, you know, they have five minutes, give or take a few minutes, depending on what you're saying, I guess. Uh, but they they were coming out and ref- they, were, they, they decided to take their time to make the argument that America is no longer racist and saying stuff like, are you one, Corden, he was like forcing, that's a dramatic word, I guess to say, but he was it basically, uh, you know, requiring an answer from the person who was on on the panel uh asking for the confirmation that it is the case that there is systemic 
racism in society specifically in police departments that would render people to be racist and you know the answer was essentially yes it is that pervasive that is how systemic racism works that is how you know privilege works in this society that's again I'm, I'm paraphrasing both of them maybe we can add the clip tomorrow when we cover it but but the point the point is is that republicans are taking the time in a committee hearing which should be used to thoroughly understand ask questions um, things that would help direct their legislative process in a way that is going to result in a departure from the status quo the status quo being the continuous murder of black lives in america they refuse to spend their time to do anything that furthers that goal instead they use their time just like trump did to talk about how not all white people and not all cops and all of this bullshit they refuse to just acknowledge the characterization of police in this country um as the accurate you know description of it being systemically racist they just refuse to accept that and and i'm watching this and i'm watching trump and you know i'm thinking like on one hand you watch this stuff and it's very reminiscent of what you hear your family members say maybe when you try to have a conversation with them about how racist police is or policing is in america and you'll hear them say something like you know no it's just a few bad apples or or talking about systemic racism in all of society for example and maybe just by being white the very fact that we're contributing to racism every day existing in the structures of power that we do in the ways that we do spending our money with the companies that we do in the way that we do when you point it out to your family they may come back at you with something like well that's not me i'm not bad i'm not racist not me don't say everybody's racist because i'm not i don't like to think about that i don't like to feel that on the surface, when you see Trump and, you know, Cruz and all of these other Republicans kind of coming out with that sort of sentiment that, you know, not not everyone's a racist, it's not the same thing that it is with your family, which I think you can largely chalk up to one white fragility or two just straight racism, you know, in the in the more direct sense that we think about it, not in the sense that everybody potentially is, um, not potentially, definitely is embodying racism in some way because of the benefits that, um, you know, you wind up reaping constantly just being a white person. This, but this is this is not them coming out uh, and lashing out and using their time on the floor in the Senate or on the floor, you know, with an executive order and delivering it in some shitty speech to the American public. This is not them showing their white fragility. It is not as innocent as that and white fred right fragility is not an innocent thing but in the scale of placing it where i think it belongs it is more innocent than what's really going on which is them doing the same shit that cops do to each other which is protecting their boys they're protecting their boys because like the senators uh trump is funded and supported politically by police unions and so for him politically he is choosing 
to put his personal politics over this issue that the country is demanding he address in a meaningful way right now, which it's not a surprise that he's not. But that's what's happening. This is so much more than these people, like, you know, being unable to confront their whiteness. That's certainly a part of it. Honestly, I think that part's been long, long gone at this point. The way that they operate in the circles they operate, I believe that they are knowingly and um, intentionally upholding these structures of white power. But... This is not white fragility, speaking. This is them protecting police and the image of police in this country because they get them elected. And this is them saying it's bad apples and it's not a whole system. It's complete fucking bullshit. So that's that's what his uh, executive order was today. <sighs> Who knew Kushner wasn't going to come up with the answers? Who knew? Hey, hey, you know what? You know what, Kushner... We tried to put him on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and uh, he really shit the bed on that one. Why don't we move him over to maybe maybe a less delicate issue, racial relations in America between police and black lives. He should be able to handle that. Let's put him in another area he has a bunch of no expertise in. Fucking Kushner, get the fuck. He has swung and missed. I don't even think you can call it a swing. He's like... He is like t-balling these issues right now. Just fucking, he's a kid that is, he is a t-ball player who has been put on a Yankees team. I don't know enough about politics or politics, baseball to know if this all checks out. But point being, he is fucking not ready for the big leagues, nor does he want to be ready for the big leagues because he doesn't give a shit really about any of this, I don't think, outside of the fact that he can exploit the power dynamics as they currently benefit his people um and he wants to get in on that really but just just from a pure optics standpoint amazing amazing how many times this guy has tried to solve major issues and completely failed uh it's kind it would be hilarious if it wasn't so awful and detrimental my next story Coming out of the FBI and California Attorney General's office, they have made an announcement that they're going to be monitoring the investigation of Robert Fuller, who was found hanging from a tree Wednesday. This is something that needs to be investigated as a uh, potential lynching, and it is what has been demanded by the people of that city and people all around the country it's been described his fuller's death was described as an alleged death by suicide this is a preemptive determination and there's just been outcries all around um calling for a further investigation one that is acceptable into what happened to robert fuller the doj and the fbi said monday that they'll be reviewing um the death of fuller and they're also going to be reviewing the death of Malcolm Harsh, who is a 38-year-old black man who is also found hanging in a tree. That happened 10 days before Robert Fuller was found uh, in San Bernardino County. San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department Public Information Officer Jody Miller told CNN, Our department has been in contact with the California Department of Justice and the FBI, and our intent is to be able to share information and details so they can compare also to the Palmdale incident. So we'll keep you updated on that investigation. The world is certainly 
watching. Um, the next story and final story that I have in the in the block is about a man who was uh, a violent counter protester defending a statue in New Mexico that protesters were demonstrating around. Um, Scott Williams was the victim. He was shot multiple times in the torso by a man with the last name Baca. And so police have charged Baca with aggravated battery with a deadly weapon, which is a felony. This is all according to a criminal complaint. Uh, The police complaint said that Baca, they kind of cast him as a man that was trying to protect the statue and then defend himself against protesters that were, quote, pursuing him, quote, while he backed away from them using pepper spray to douse the oncoming crowd. Baca's retreat, the complaint says, continued even as the group appeared to maliciously pursue him, with several people striking him with their hands and legs. Uh, The complaint also says the protesters hit him with a skateboard and tackled him. Um, Baca's victim, Scott Williams, is described as a man dressed in a black hooded shirt with a pair of black pants and is noted to have struck Stephen with the skateboard. There's video and Twitter evidence that would suggest that um, Baca was being antagonistic incredibly to people around him before this incident occurred. So, hopefully there's going to be justice in, in this case. Someone that could have killed somebody very, very, very easily. And, um, yeah... I mean, it's just the the escalation of violence by a group of, or I should say a person in a group of counter-protesters is, uh, yeah, it's it's well-documented, and it's already killed people in the past. Um, It's just really, it's really scary, and I really hope... I mean, people being held accountable for their violence is, is like, such an overarching theme and motif throughout all of this. People cannot any longer be violent, uh, racist, white supremacists, and not be held to account for things that are either directly hate crimes or are in the service of hate crimes. So, keep you posted on all of those stories. Uh, except for the executive order, because I don't think there's going to be much follow-up to that, really. I, it doesn't really fucking do anything, anyway. But that's my A-block, everybody. Hope you're having a good start of your week, and we'll talk to you very soon. Tomorrow, Ethan. All right, have a good night. All right, thanks for that update, Jordan. We will be right back uh, with news from Under the Radar, so stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. 
Hey friends, it's AG for The Daily Beans. Due to the global pandemic, uh, the COVID-19 virus, um, and everything that's going on, the job market has been uncertain, uh, to say the least, for the past couple of months. And we don't really know uh, what the future will hold. We are all in uncharted waters, and as uh, a small business ourselves, we understand what employees and employers are going through right now. Employees are worried about their job still being there, or having to find a new one, while employers are concerned about their business surviving and uh, hoping that both customers and employees return. In the effort to dissuade fears and provide some assistance and comfort in these crazy times, we'd like to relay the following message from our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. They say, right now, we cannot be overwhelmed. We have to work to keep our loved ones safe and protect our communities. We have to work to stay strong, to stay connected, to stay focused. We have to work to inspire, to innovate, to build new solutions. But for all of this to work, we have to work, and we have to work together. At ZipRecruiter, we connect employers and people every day. But today is different. We are partnering with first responders, government officials, the medical community, the innovators, and the manufacturing, transportation, and food distribution industries to make sure we are finding the right people for the right jobs right now. So let's work together. Visit ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. All right, everybody, welcome back. Here's some headlines from under the radar. I feel like I should crack my knuckles or something, but I can't. Um, so Dr. Fauci. Fauci, Fauci, Fauci. Dr. Fauci admitted today that he and the Trump administration held off on promoting face mask use because of severe PPE shortages. The same shortages that Inspector General Christy Grimm reported on and was subsequently fired for by Trump. Um, many of you support Fauci, and I respect that. Uh, but to me, this is lying to the public, plain and simple, and likely caused more deaths than it prevented, which I can never prove. But uh, many of you said, you know, uh, he was concerned about, you know, healthcare workers not getting access to PPE. Okay, but there was a simple fix for that. Trump could have invoked the Defense Production Act and forced manufacturers to fix the PPE shortage instead of lying to the American people, saying masks don't really work, you don't need them, to spare the revelation that we have PPE shortages. Trump doesn't give a shit about health workers or first responders. He only cared that the public didn't learn about his government facing severe shortages of medical equipment because he sent all of ours to China and Russia after downplaying the virus and delaying for 70 days to act, causing the death of probably about 54,000 Americans, according to one study. A while back, I called for Fauci to resign and speak out, speak public publicly. And I was shushed by many, saying he can't rock the boat, he has to stay in that job, he's towing a line... Uh, he's he's pleasing Trump while trying to get as much information to us as we can. We're better off with him there. Are we? Now that we know he misled us about masks to prevent exposing the PPE shortages on behalf of the Trump administration. Or even if he did it because he felt that doctors and first responders should have more masks, he still lied to us. And now that America is open for business and Trump is refusing to take action if a, sef a second wave occurs, where does that leave us? What exactly has he done to help uh, in the administration that wouldn't have been a thousand times more effective if he weren't part of a Trump administration? When he told us masks weren't effective a few months back, was that the message he was told to deliver? Did he believe it? How many people do you think died because they listened to him? Yes, Trump is the mastermind here. We should always place the blame squarely on his shoulders where it belongs, despite him shirking all responsibilities. I'm not responsible for any of this. No, I don't take any responsibility. I'm fantastic. But he lied to all of us just to get reelected. 
Trump did and prop up a, a real sketch economy. And just yesterday, Trump told the press pool, if we would just stop testing, uh, our number of cases would go drastically down. The, <laughs> the mainstream media is just now picking up on this. But all of us remember three months ago uh, when Trump didn't want a cruise ship to dock in Oakland because it would, quote, hurt the numbers. It's always been about the numbers. It's always been about hiding them and manipulating them. It's always been about hiding the shortages and firing people who report about it. Like the health official from Florida that was fired because she wouldn't falsify data on the coronavirus dashboard. So now she's created her own, shining some light on the fact that many red states are underreporting massive spikes in pneumonia deaths, quote unquote, that are clearly COVID related. And Pence today penned an opinion in the Wall Street Journal saying there is no second wave. We're all overreacting. I would agree with that, but I think we're still in the first wave. Arizona, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, all up around 150 percent. And speaking of Pence, he told governors on a call yesterday, of which the New York Times obtained the audio, uh, he told them to adopt Trump's lie. That we're only seeing more cases in some states because we're testing more. That's why the number of cases going up because we're testing more. This is obviously total bullshit as the number of cases in 14 of those states where cases are increasing, those, that rise in cases outpaces the increasing in testing. If you don't like that math, then shore it up with the increase in hospitalizations. That's real shit right there. Then add the number of deaths due to quote-unquote pneumonia. In Florida, it went up from, I think, 800 in 2019 to almost 5,000, 4890-something. No big deal, right? Just a weird coincidence that it's usually six to 800 every year, and then all of a sudden it's, it's almost 5,000. Must just be a really bad pneumonia season. Totally weird coincidence. And let's talk for a minute about Trump saying, if we stop testing, we won't have as many cases. Aside from this being part of his all-out war on testing and tracing to keep his numbers low, uh, this is basic object permanence, Trump. I think something Trump does not seem to have, making me wonder what Adderall has done to his corpus callosum over the years. Corpus callosum is that middle piece of the brain that connects the left and the right so that you can, you know, grab something with your left hand and say what it is with your mouth. Connects the language centers to the physical... Anyway... Object permanence comes from a developed corpus callosum. He doesn't seem to have it. <laughs> Whether he thinks B-52 or, you know, uh, stealth bombers are actually invisible. Because he's, he, because he's not looking at it? <laughs> Is that, I don't see one right now. They're invisible. It's amazing technology. Uh, Horse Whisperer on Twitter said he uh, smashed the gasoline indicator on his dashboard in his car so he would never run out of gas again. So, yeah, I think I like how that works. So people are like, I, I, I stopped looking in my bank account, so I'll have money forever. Yay. You should stop going to the doctor. You just never die. Anyway, you should follow Horse Whisperer if you're not already. And that brings me to the troglodytes on social media convinced that wearing a mask will cause CO2 poisoning, carbon dioxide. Some of them say carbon monoxide, which is extra funny. Uh, wearing a mask does not cause either of those things. That is not a real thing unless you're an infant, because infants can't breathe through their mouths. So it's not recommended that you put a mask on an infant, zero to two years old. Um, though, if you are refusing to wear a mask, you might be an infant. Uh, you're definitely a mouth breather. I know you can do that, so wear a fucking mask. 
According to The Lancet, the chance of transmission of coronavirus drops from 17.4% to 3.1% when you wear a mask. That's pretty friggin' significant. It's not perfect. It's not 0%. But neither is a condom. Condoms work 99.98 something percent of the time. You're just not going to wear it because it's not 100% effective. Fuck that. I'm not wearing it. And from Politico, the House Committee overseeing the federal response to the coronavirus crisis is launching a sweeping investigation into the country's five largest for-profit nursing home companies, demanding details about their structure, executive compensation, and preparedness for coronavirus. House Majority Whip James Clyburn, he's a Democrat from South Carolina, he chairs the coronavirus panel, sent a letter to the Federal Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, as well as the five companies seeking reams of information about whether um, CMS properly managed the outbreak in nursing homes, ensuring that enough testing and supplies are available. The panel is also probing a wide range of issues from the scale of the outbreak in the facilities to potential shortages of protective equipment for patients and staff. We were just talking about that. Nursing homes have been an epicenter for coronavirus. More than 25% of the over 115,000 deaths from COVID have been attributed to spread in nursing homes. The five companies Clyburn is contacting are Genesis Healthcare, Life Care Centers of America, Ensign Group, Save a Senior Care, and Consulate Healthcare. Those five groups operate more than 850 facilities for 80,000 patients in 40 states. Each has seen outbreaks at multiple facilities, including more than 1,500 across 187 facilities at Genesis Healthcare alone. And that's according to the committee. And why the fuck do only five companies operate more than 850 facilities in 40 states for 80,000 people? Did this slip in when healthcare providers and healthcare companies were exempt from antitrust laws? They were for a while. They're not anymore. Elizabeth Warren, if you're listening, can you look into this bullshit, please? That seems really monopolistic. Uh, House GOP whip Steve Scalise, Clyburn's counterpart on the coronavirus panel, emphasized state-level failures. Said the states that declined to follow the federal guidelines. It was the states. Those states saw the worst outbreaks. This is an attempt, quote, this is an attempt to pin the tragedy in America's nursing homes on President Trump. It's desperate, unconvincing, and completely divorced from reality. Yeah, sure, Scalise. It can't be because five companies own and control 850 facilities in 40 states. I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. How many times do I have to say that when healthcare is for profit, people die? We need to stop this. Apparently, y'all get angry AG today. Sorry. <laughs> but let's do it. Uh, let's get into it. Let's line up the assholes today. Next asshole on the docket, Steve. Steve Mnuchin, Secretary of Cover-Ups. As you might have heard, Steve has taken the extraordinary step of refusing to tell Congress or the public which businesses received half a trillion dollars of our fucking money. Congress sold this bailout to the public on the promise that only small businesses, less than 500, 500 or less fewer employees, would receive the uh, PPP funds and that the Treasury would be transparent about where the money went. That was a big sticking point for Democrats. Then, of course, Trump fired the inspector general from the Pentagon, Glenn Fine, who was supposed to provide oversight for coronavirus relief funds. And uh, we learned a little early that massive corporations like Ruth's Chris and United Airlines were gobbling up all that cash using a loophole dropped in the bill by Republicans saying that individual locations of a corporation could apply for the funds. So like one Ruth's Chris steakhouse could apply. And so they all applied individually. 
And because of massive businesses and their teams of lawyers, uh, we ran out of the money fast. We ran out of it. So fast that Congress had to issue another couple hundred billion to make up for it. But now a search of filings at the SEC reveals that dozens of uh, companies that trade on NASDAQ got loans. Dozens of publicly traded companies with massive lines of credit from banks got some of these loans. Dozens with way more than 500 employees got these loans. Tens of billions of dollars with zero oversight, no transparency. And now we're learning that some private jet LLCs owned and operated by Trump donors got some loans. Here's some examples. Christopher and Banks Corporation. That's a women's clothing, publicly traded company. They got $10 million. And they have a $50 million line of credit with Wells Fargo. With Wells Fargo. Uh, then there's Sensonics, a publicly traded company that has $15 million in proceeds and access to $5 million in liquidity. But they took $6 million from the Paycheck Protection Program. Neither of those companies has returned the money. Flowtech Industries got a $6.1 million tax refund for 2019, but received $5 million in forgivable money from the PPP. Optical Cable Corp. has access to nearly $500,000 in, in a credit line, but got $5 million from taxpayers, also a publicly traded corporation. But Steve has concluded that the administration is not required to provide any information about beneficiaries of the programs created by the CARES Act, uh, Division A. Uh, but fortunately, Katie Porter is on it, and she's not taking your shit, and will keep you posted on her fight to reveal the list of recipients. And finally here from Reuters, a new study shows a specific mutation in the coronavirus can significantly increase its ability to infect cells. This is not good news. This research might explain why early outbreaks in some part of the world did not end up being as overwhelming as some of the other outbreaks, like in New York and Italy. And this is according to experts at Scripps Research. The mutation, which they've named D614G, increases the number of spikes on the coronavirus. That's all the little protrusions coming out of the coronavirus that you see when you see a picture of it. That's the part that gives it its distinctive shape. Those spikes are what allow the virus to bind and infect cells. So this mutation has more spikes. The number or density of functional spikes on the virus is four or five times greater due to this mutation. That's according to the study, and the researchers say that it's still unknown whether this small mutation affects the severity of symptoms of infected people or increases mortality or not, or if, whether it impacts anything like that. Just that it causes the infection more often because it's got more spikes. And the researchers conducting lab experiments say that more research, including controlled studies, widely considered a gold standard for clinical trials, need to be done to confirm their findings from the test tube experiments. The Scripps Research Study is currently undergoing peer review. It was released on Friday amid reports of its findings, and we'll keep you posted. Uh, one, oop, one last thing. This just in. Beep, 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 beep. Ships at sea. Um, Steny Hoyer has scheduled a vote next week on a bill to make the District of Columbia the 51st state of the union, marking the first time since 1993 that Congress will have voted on the issue. The bill, sponsored by uh, non-voting delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton, has over 220 co-sponsors co and would place the new state of Washington uh, it would call it Washington Douglas Commonwealth on equal footing with other states, and it would provide residents with the right to elect two senators and one representative, which they don't have voting rights at this moment. The Republican-controlled Senate will say no, meaning the measure won't become law. But it will enable Pelosi and Democrats to make a political point about what they call an unfair status of the district. It is taxation without representation. D.C. has over 700,000 residents. That's bigger than the populations of both Wyoming and Vermont. Yet D.C. has no votes in Congress. That is taxation without representation. And it's a civil rights issue. Um, Steny Hoyer agrees, saying because 46 percent of the district's residents are black. Norton says the bill's sponsor, 
who's long advocated for statehood, um, Norton, she is the sponsor, says the bill holds personal meaning for her and her family. She says, my great-grandfather, who escaped as a slave from a Virginia plantation, Richard Holmes, made it as far as the District of Columbia. A walk to freedom, but not to equal citizenship, she said. Her bill was approved in February by the House Oversight and Reform Committee in a 21 to 16 vote. The vote in the full House is scheduled for next Friday, June 26th. All right, everybody, after the break, I'll be speaking to Glenn Kirshner about some subpoenas issued by the House Judiciary and Jerry Nadler to get answers on Bill Barr's corruption. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and I want to tell you about my new favorite life hack, the most useful app on my phone. It's called Blinkist. Uh, If you're like me, you're always busy, very busy. Finding time to sit down and read an entire book is hard. Uh, Blinkist is designed to solve this problem, and I highly recommend checking it out. It's first of all, it's a really it's it works on your phone, your tablet, your web browser, whatever device you have, and it takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down to just 15 minutes so that you can read that or listen to it. And it again, 15 minutes, you get the the main points of the book. Most successful people are known to be voracious readers. Uh, Blinkist is made for busy people who want to get to the main points of a book quickly and start using that information right away. And with the audio feature, which I use, Blinkist makes it easy to finish while you're driving or working out or, you know, I do on the treadmill. And millions of people are using Blinkist right now. It has a massive growing library from self-help, business, health, to history books. And it's just got got so much in there. And they have the latest titles from bestsellers lists, as well as classic nonfiction titles you probably always meant to read but never had time to. Uh, For me, here's what I use it for. It's my screener, right? It's like screening calls. I like Blinkist. In less than 15 minutes, I get the main points. That helps me decide if if I'm going to read the full book or not. And it, it has helped me immensely. Um, all the books in one place you want for one low price, too. And right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com beans to try it free for seven days, and you'll save 25% on your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, dot com slash beans to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also receive 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. So I just received word today that the House Judiciary Committee, chaired by, as we all know, Jerry Nadler, who I admit I've been giving a hard time to for not sacking up in these bar investigations, uh, has issued subpoenas for Aaron Zelensky and John Elias to testify before the House Judiciary next week. So joining me today to discuss the mechanics of this is former federal prosecutor who worked with Bob Mueller and, and worked at the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office for decades. And he's an MSNBC legal analyst, Glenn Kirshner. Glenn, how are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, this uh, news popped up. I was a little bit, whoa, kind of sort of out of the blue. But Nadler described Zelensky and Elias uh, in his uh, statement as whistleblowers who are, quote, prepared to describe the unprecedented politicization, uh, politicization of the Justice Department under Bill Barr. Can you briefly remind us who Zelensky and Elias are? Sure. So Zelensky is one of the four prosecutors. He was on Mueller's team. He was one of the four prosecutors who uh, tried Roger Stone to a conviction. I watched most of that trial here in D.C., and they did a fabulous job. Um, And then when sentencing time rolled around, Bill Barr decided he wanted to do Roger Stone a favor, though. So he ordered basically the prosecutors to walk away from an earlier sentencing recommendation they filed, which was appropriately harsh and within the federal sentencing guidelines, and said, no, 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 you are going to go much lighter on the president's friend and criminal associate, 
Roger Stone. I don't know that Barr expressly said that, but that's my take. And all four prosecutors in protest immediately walked away from that extraordinarily high-profile prosecution, which in my 30 years as a prosecutor, I've never done and I've never seen happen Mm. because they said, we will not do Roger Stone a favor. It's unfair, it's unjust, and you are perverting the criminal justice system. And uh, all four walked off the case immediately. John Kravis, who was a friend and former colleague of mine, actually resigned from the federal government that very day and has since spoken out um, in the Washington Post and said he refused to be a part of what he called abandoning the responsibility to do justice. And Kravis is a circumspect guy. He's also a very smart, honorable, forceful guy. So he made it absolutely clear this was completely unjust by Bill Barr. So that's Aaron Zelensky is one of the prosecutors on the Roger Stone team, and he was involved in the Bob Mueller investigation as one of Mueller's prosecutors. Um, uh, John Elias is, uh, I think he's in the antitrust division. I don't know him personally, but, mm-hmm. and he was involved in some of, I guess, the um, department's litigation or potential litigation over um, emissions, auto emission standards, and the Trump administration tried to swoop in and uh, uh, basically take a little power from California that was trying to, here we go, protect the environment, the nerve of those folks in California. (laughs) And Trump swooped in and said, nope, you're not going to do it. We're not going to let you set more stringent, more environmentally friendly uh, auto emissions standards. And, you know, I don't know exactly what's behind that. Could it be that Donald Trump was catering to the automobile industry? I think we'll hear more about that. But apparently um, both Zelensky and Elias are about to testify um, concerning some of the political shenanigans that are going going on inside of and infecting the Department of Justice. And and two things with respect to your run-up. I know... Jerry Nadler is calling them whistleblowers. I don't know that I would entirely agree with that characterization because my understanding is they were both subpoenaed because we believe they have critical things to say about the Department of Justice under Bill Barr. I don't know that they filed whistleblower complaints. I think, you know, they're more accurately characterized as folks who, if permitted to testify fully and truthfully, more about that in a minute, could probably say the kind of things whistleblowers would say, but I don't know that they're technically whistleblowers. Now, the second issue is, will Bill Barr and company allow them to testify fully, truthfully, and candidly? I think the answer is probably, heck no. They're going to make their lives miserable. They're going to put all kinds of restrictions on them. And even if they do testify, you know, fully or nearly fully, then I I would expect you're going to see some retaliation, um, just like you saw against Lieutenant Colonel Vindman's and just like you saw when the Michael Atkinson's of the world uh, were involved in bringing forward critical information about the administration. So, you know, I appreciate what these two gentlemen are about to do, and they better hold on tight because, you know, life is going to probably get a whole lot more challenging for them. Right. I I would resign personally. Um, and and wondering why Cravis and Van Grack, I mean, Van Grack now runs the fair unit at the Department of Justice. So I could understand why it would be bad for Nadler to subpoena him and then for him to have to 
listen to Barr and sort of keep his job at the Farrah unit, and that could be all twisted and weird. But he's the guy who dropped off the Flynn case. But Kravis, um, he's out of the DOJ altogether, isn't he? He is. He actually left the department. He left the federal government. He's now working with the D.C. city government, trying to help them launch a public corruption unit, which for the D.C. city government is is challenging because they don't really have prosecutorial authority. So it will be more of an investig- investigative unit that will probably then work in coordination with the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office to bring criminal cases. But you're absolutely right. Why hasn't Kravis been subpoenaed because he is kind of completely above the federal fray at this point. And, um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we'll hear more about that in the future. Mm. So what kind of information um, do you think uh, these two, Elias and Zelensky, would be uh, privy to? I mean, obviously, they might have some inside information on why the the lighter sentencing recommendation. They went back and forth a couple of times, I think, with Stone. Uh, and then eventually the DOJ ended up arguing on, on behalf of the original seven to nine years that was put in. Uh, he might have some insight on that. And the antitrust guy, like you said, we know what he's um, probably there for. But uh, uh, what I'm wondering, I guess, is there some things we can expect not to hear, maybe in consideration of preserving ongoing or future prosecutions? Yeah, I, I think that will be one of the uh, the tired old lines that Bill Barr will pull out to try to clamp down on what these gentlemen will say. You know, you can't compromise ongoing investigations. But, you know, Zelensky, first of all, if this is about Roger Stone, then how could it not be? You know, that case is over. There is nothing ongoing vis-a-vis Roger Stone. So, you know, I would want to know from Zelensky, um, how in the world was it that you and your three fellow prosecutors put together what was a very thoughtful 25-page sentencing memo, filed it in court, and within 24 hours, you have the Department of Justice pull the rug out from under you and tell you that you've got to go way easier on, uh, on Roger Stone. Who did you talk with? What was represented about why that decision was being made? And why is it that you and your, your three fellow prosecutors refused or declined to even sign the next sentencing memo that went in. I think it was, uh, it was signed by uh, the, the U.S. attorney, then Tim Shea, who did a whole lot to completely demoralize the D.C. U.S. attorney's office. He's now demoralizing the DEA as the acting head of the DEA as the Trump administration continues to move the deck chairs around um, on the Titanic. But, um, you know, I would want to know from Zelensky, I would want to know, you know, what in the world prompted that complete 180 on a really high-profile, consequential, important case to, to the people? And why did you leave the case? And, you know, what, what did you know? And, and from whom did you know it? So there's quite a bit I'd like to know from, from Zelensky. Yeah, agreed. It should be interesting. But um, yeah, but maybe maybe at some point we'll hear from Kravis. Maybe we'll hear from Van Grack. Uh, I know that um, Andrew Torres, I believe, submitted uh, Amicus Curie in the Flynn case saying you should bring Van Grack in and ask him some stuff. <laughs> um, so, you know, we'll we'll see. Um, there's a lot going on. And it's it's I think the fire hose of insanity uh you know, sort of method is working on behalf of Trump in that in that sort of sense, and that there's just so much. 
Yeah, it, and you know, it's all going to see the light of day come January, if not sooner. We know this, assuming the poll numbers are, you know, anywhere near reliable. For gosh sakes, Trump is down 14 points in Michigan. Um, we're going to see all of this. And you can't, you know, back in the Watergate days, they could line up at the shredder and do a lot of damage. But now there's an electronic footprint for everything. And so we're going to, the people are going to see what Trump and Barr and Mnuchin and the rest of the clowns have been up to for the past several years come January. And, you know, their, their days are numbered, and it does feel like Mnuchin and company are stuffing their pockets now with, you know, coronavirus relief money. They're, they're doing everything they can to kind of steal all of our money, and, and then they're going to make a dash for the door um, come January. And then we're going to start to learn that as bad as we think it is, it's probably a whole lot worse. Yeah. And and it's so funny that you bring up, uh, you know, Barr is going to drag out the old tired line that you can't talk about stuff that's a part of an open and ongoing investigation when he himself has done that. Uh, it, of course. Bullshit investigation known as Obamagate, but still an investigation nonetheless. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Yeah. No. But, and let's, let's remember, why is Barr not testifying? Because remember, they subpoenaed him or they at least requested that he testify and he said i'm just too darn busy he's too darn busy sitting next to donald trump at extended press conferences come on i mean the whole thing is as you know transparent as as it looks and so that's why they said you know i think nadler expressly said well Barr's too busy give us zelensky and we'll we'll see how that goes i still wish Nadler would have said, fine, I'll subpoena you. And then if you don't, I'll hold you in contempt. Uh, I, I don't know why he doesn't go down those roads, maybe because it's so close to an election and it's uh, he thinks it's optics optically bad. I don't I don't understand. Like uh, outside of the backlash he would get from like the Gaudis and the Gateses of the world saying, oh, sit down, old man, the election is coming up soon anyway. So who cares? Um, I don't just I just don't get why he's not putting his foot down a little harder but this this pleased me today these seeing these subpoenas we'll see how Barr responds yeah yeah and i wish we would have pulled out inherent contempt long ago and i think the dems did a disservice to the people by letting the republicans pull out every weapon in their arsenal and then some and the dems refused to pull out inherent contempt and you know they've been in a street fight and they've tied one hand behind their backs and that's that's unfortunate yeah yeah it is um but hopefully move ever forward. That's all I can think. Uh, so um, thanks for coming on uh, today, everybody, former federal prosecutor and MSNBC legal analyst Glenn Kirshner. Where can everyone find you? So uh, if you can go to YouTube, I've got a, a video a day, a Trump crime a day. Today we're t- tackling, um, uh, uh, what's his name, John Bolton's tell-all book and Bill Barr's, you know, do-all for Donald worldview. So and we just heard, of course, that uh, the Trump administration has just filed suit today yep. to try to stop the book from coming out. So that will also be another interesting uh, sideshow to watch. But anybody, everybody can find me. It's just my name, Glenn Kirshner, on YouTube or on Twitter. It's Glenn Kirshner, too. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, we will talk soon. All right. Thanks. All right, everybody, stick around. Right after this break, we have the Good News Block. You don't want to miss it. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG. This Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Helix Sleep. I know that you've heard me talk about this, and I know that some of you are out there sleeping on some trash mattresses. 
uh, you deserve better than that. It is time to give yourself an upgrade. I recommend Helix Sleep. As you know, Joelle has one, Mandy has one, Jordan has one, I have one. It is the most comfortable mattress any of us have ever experienced. And I've gone like pretty, pretty high tech on some old mattresses too. This is just blows them all away. Uh, so give yourself an upgrade. I used to think it was politics and stress making me toss and turn all night long. It's partly that, but I had a trash mattress and and that had to change. It was not meant for me. It turns out it was, I think, just like made generically for everyone. But Helix made the difference. They're different because they understand each you know, each of us is, are unique and they customize their mattress to fit you in the way you sleep best. So, you know, why would you buy that generic mattress built for everyone else when you can get a mattress made just for you? So they take into account if you're a side sleeper or a back sleeper, if you're a hot sleeper or if you sleep cool or if you like a plush bed or a soft, soft bed. I'm very soft. I like the soft. And with Helix, there's no more confusion and no more compromising on an average mattress. They match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. You just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life, I promise. Helix Sleep was awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 by GQ and Wired Magazine. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 sleeps, risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. No weird and hidden feeds, but you definitely will love it. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. And joining me today for the good news is Jordan Coburn. Jordan, how are you today? Hello, I'm well. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I had a pretty good day yesterday. Like, I, the whole house got cleaned, and I did, like, I did everything all at once usually i stagger the chores you know mm. but i also like wash the towels and the bath mats and the sheets and my bathrobe and my comforter and the pillowcase like everything all at once Hell was yeah. clean and so then i cleaned myself nice <laughs> like, <laughs> last piece of the puzzle exactly then i yeah because then i crawled my dirty ass into bed would be weird <laughs> but uh Lit a bunch of candles, played some Animal Crossing, had an edible, and fell asleep. It was lovely. Hell yeah. That sounds fantastic. It's the little things, you know? Um, I, too, went on a bit of a cleaning spree today. Yeah. I did all my dishes, and I cleaned under the grill on my stovetop oven, which was a pain in the Ooh. ass. And, uh, yeah, went grocery shopping. Been listening to the Senate Judiciary hearing all day. And... Mm. That has been my day. Yes, you were talking about that Senate Judiciary Senate Judiciary hearing on police, police reform. reform, police brutality. Yep. Yeah. Totally. And um, of course, that's you know that's Lindsey Graham's joint, so we have to take everything that him and Ted Cruz take you know says with a grain of salt. But there's some amazing people on that panel that you know that uh, we're going to hear from. We're going to go over this tomorrow uh, on the Daily Beans. But um, we've got Kamala Harris and Senator Booker and mm -hmm. Jordan. You're going to put all that together for everyone. Philip Goff, he's been on CNN and MSNBC a lot over the last few weeks. He's just like a a brilliant mind uh, when it comes to... He's the uh, the doctor, right? He teaches at... Oh, he's a professor. And 
he actually, um, when he's bro- like when when the first you know when the defund the police movement first hit, uh, he came on and he's and and explained what it was and how long they've been you know advocating for it, mm-hmm. and I think that that spoke to a lot of people who hadn't didn't realize, uh, myself included, what defund the police actually means. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And so I've learned so much from that man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. And and there's there's so many like it it watching and listening to the committee feels like a like a group of superheroes sort of that are coming together and they're doing the work of putting so much rightful emotion, you know. Like the reactions to the these videos of black bodies being murdered is just like, you know, it just makes you profusely cry or, you know, have like a horrible trauma response. And then that, that dile- directly leads into getting out in the streets and direct action and things where you, you can shift, you know, this, this primal rage that comes from these incidents and, you know, put it into an avenue like marching or a lot of, you know, legislative actions, calling your representatives, that kind of thing. But when these folks get on and they get up in front of, you know, what is 50% Republicans, I mean, that's just a general, I know that's not the the percentage, but, but, um, and they have to put, they have to put all of that emotion into words that are easily digestible by not only the American public, but the people that they're speaking to and they have to speak in, you know, the the jargon of, of what those people will respond to. They have to anticipate what those people, when I say those people, I'm talking about Republicans, they have to anticipate what they would respond to in a negative way, what would be considered like a trigger phrase for them and would allow them to run away with that stupid Republican talking point. They have to preemptively navigate that and change their words constantly they have to constantly be on top of their game to like so as to not upset the white republicans on the panel basically and still be really powerful and truthful and they're all doing that and it's just like they're fucking heroes yeah it's brilliance to 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 be able to do that and then to be able to elicit that kind of raw and really genuine mm-hmm. a, a response and then to 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 then take it a step further where just like you said, you you then you have to frame it in a in a in a a way that the audience in front of you, the people that you're talking to, the the others you're having the conversation with, uh, are can 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 relate to or at least you know accept or mm-hmm. understand. It's just it's incredible, you know. Mm-hmm. So I I'm glad we're going to get to listen to some of those clips tomorrow. But yeah, me too. But. Uh, no Lindsey Graham, we promise. Tune in. We're not going to make God. you listen to any Lindsey Graham. I fucking hate him so much. <laughs> I hate all... Uh, I know, me too. God. So bad. But this is a good news segment. This is a good news yes, segment. Yes, yes. And we have so much good news today. So let's um, let's do that. Let's pivot. Hell yeah. Ready. Ready to pivot. Um, Ready. All right. Get my good news voice on. Woohoo! <laughs> I know it's like all right mentally pull myself out of the Republican-led Senate Judiciary Committee and put on my good news voice. Yep. La la. Yep. All right, kicking it off is from Ben, uh a UK-based doctor. 
A drug has, for the first time, been shown to reduce the risk of dying in COVID-19 in patients requiring ventilation or oxygen. That's put in parentheses. Uh, the recovery trial in multiple UK hospitals showed a considerable improvement in survival in patients requiring ventilators or oxygen. It's a cheap, generic drug. It may save up to a third of people who require a ventilator for COVID. A couple of responsible caveats, though. It's not a specific antiviral and won't prevent infection. It only works in patients with more severe diseases and showed no benefit in patients with mild disease. And it really should not be taken to prevent infection as corticosteroids? Corticoste oh, cortical steroids. Aha, thank you. Mm -hmm. Corticosteroids mm -hmm. can be really nasty when taken long term. Don't take uh, medical advice from random podcast commentators. <laughs> I feel like that was a direct dig at Joe Rogan. I'm just, I'm just asking. <laughs> I'm, I, yeah, that sounds like a, a Roganite criticism for sure. Thank you, thank you, Ben. Thank you for being a doctor. Yes. Also. Yeah, Ben. I when I went to the VA, I had a. Uh, this was a uh, probably. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe in December, I had a really, really bad throat infection. I think it was bacterial. I don't know, though, because normally when you go in with, like, a really closed-up throat and super, super inflamed, like, tonsils, they'll do a throat swab, a culture, and determine whether you have a virus or a bacterial infection. And, you know, and they'll test for mono, for example, or strep. Uh, but the VA was like, nope, we don't do that anymore. I'm just going to give you a shot in the shoulder of some corticosteroids. Huh. It's going to make the swelling in your throat go down. And uh, and so it doesn't matter if it's a virus or a bacteria. And that way we can avoid putting it on antibiotics, which has a whole you know, list of litany of issues that, you know, people who over prescribe and overtake antibiotics. Um, and, and, and so they did, they gave me a, they gave me some roids and I got home and within like hours, my throat was fine. And then I felt like I was going to run a marathon. I was like, yeah, let's go. I am so pumped right now. And I was like, all right, so this is why people take steroids. I get it. I but remember yeah, that. Extremely. I remember. <laughs> I remember that so vividly. Yes, because you you were so so sick, and then it was like the next day you were completely fine. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I was like, "All right, let's go. I'm gonna go lift some weights. Let's do this." Yeah, and I was just like so like pumped, like mm, pumped, ready to go. <laughs> and um, yeah, but also, uh, you know, I called my nurse friend. I'm like, "Where do I get those? I want those all the time." She's like, "You can't juice, dude. You can't. It's bad for your heart. It's bad for everything. It's really bad for you." So yeah, that's I can see where Ben's like. So don't just you know go taking it. But I can also see why, like I have experienced the curing powers, yes. and so I can understand <laughs> why that probably helps. Yes. Um, you know, with because a lot of it's inflammation in, in the lungs, right? And so I can imagine that corticosteroids would help with that. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, bleach, just, just inject Lysol right in there. Right. Either or, really. That was a joke. Don't do that. I'm just kidding. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. Next up is from Jenny. Jenny says, I learned a few weeks ago that my application for promotion to associate professor of practice was approved by the provost after a very difficult year and a difficult time getting the application submitted and entered into the year-long review process. My job has been characterized by years of struggle, clawing my way up, and fighting to take up spa the space that I deserve. Because of COVID-19, universities around the country, including mine, are making absolutely shocking cuts to faculty, staff, and programs, instituting hiring freezes and freezing spending. 
I was so afraid that there would surely be an effort to halt promotions and maybe even cut positions like mine. I am non-tenure track faculty, but I earned a special kind of appointment that puts me at a similar rank and salary to those on the tenure track, and that means I am represented by an absolute baller faculty union, the AAUP. Uh, I know that I am not immune to potential cuts if things get to be so dire that our university has to re-enter negotiations with the union or declare financial exigency. Is that how you say that word? Mm-hmm. Wait, what does that mean? Uh, like you're just hardship. Like you can't do it. Cool. Good. We're exigent. Good exigent. word. Yeah, we, we can't. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. Let's hear. Let's, let's, let's do this for everyone here. <laughs> exigent. Jordan's words. I need like a fucking Sesame Street segment at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Just going to put on like a furry orange costume or something and start doing my reporting in that. (laughs) Uh, Exigent, pressing, demanding. The exigent demands of the music took a toll on her voice. Exigent. All right. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, I'll start that sentence over. I know that I am not immune to potential cuts if things get to be so dire that our university has to re-enter negotiations with the union or declare financial exigency. But so far, we are surviving. I am so amazed at what our union has been able to do in recent years that I finally pledged as a full member a couple of weeks ago. I cannot adequately express my admiration and appreciation for the union, and I have great hope in our university's ability to weather the storm. I am extremely sensitive to the fact that so many folks in this country are suffering in a lot of ways and not supported by a strong union like mine. Because of that, I have kept this news close. But it feels so amazing to finally be rewarded for my blood, sweat, and tears. And I am so thankful. Congratulations, Jenny. Congratulations. Hell yes. Woohoo. Hell yes, unions that work for people, actually. Um, yeah, not copy unions. Not those. <laughs> no. Uh, next up from Elaine. Elaine says, I passed the board of certification exam to become a medical laboratory tech. I had traveled to Columbus, Ohio, which is around two hours from where I live in West Virginia. It felt very weird to have such a significant positive thing happen to me personally, all while protests were happening in Columbus, Minneapolis, and many other cities. Passing the exam was particularly anxiety-inducing since half of my clinical rotation was canceled due to COVID-19, and I didn't get time in the areas that I feel less knowledgeable in. I was also fortunate to be able to test, as I didn't actually graduate in May due to an online writing class. I'm taking the class now, so I will have my degree at the end of July, and then I will be starting a job at a hospital that held a position for me even after I did not graduate in May. Thankful. Yay! Go, Elaine! Congratulations! Fucking writing mm-hmm. classes. That's also why I took a little bit extra to get my degree. I had to take some bullshit things online that I just bullshitted my way through anyway, but apparently I had to do the bullshit before they gave me the piece of paper that I paid for. Sorry. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that I paid for. Just making this about me. That's, uh, but that's, <laughs> that's really amazing. Congratulations. And you got to celebrate your victories when you got them, you know? Um, that doesn't mean you're negating the other things that are going on around you in the world. You still get to be present in your life and your good news segments. So thank you, Elaine. Next up from Anna Marie. Anna Marie says, since quarantine began, my girls, uh, my kids, girl 13 and boy 11, have become good friends. They hang out with each other and have long conversations about everything. Oh, they both have other friends that they get to visit with online, but we have not had other kids over since before school shut down, so they only have each other in person. This has forged a bond between them that I hope lasts their whole that I hope lasts their whole lives. 
They still bicker sometimes, as siblings do, but hanging out together for fun has become the way they spend the majority of their free time. My son is imaginative and tells silly stories and jokes, and my daughter is artistic and creative and loves to listen and ask my son questions about his characters. They tell each other their weird dreams, and they make up silly parodies to their favorite songs, a la Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, whom they both love they haven't always <laughs> been this nice to each other that's amazing how old are they again i'm sorry to interrupt no, how old no are they worries. again they're 13 and 11 jesus that's so fucking rad keep going yeah keep going. yeah they haven't always been this nice to each other it's really sweet and it makes my heart happy whenever i overhear them chatting yay that's so sweet <laughs> when i yeah I, I totally relate because my sister my me and my sister were further apart in years we were six years apart but when i was like 15 and she was nine or you know when I was 13 and she we we sat around and made up songs too all the time Mm -hmm. um just random songs and then I like I still have a cassette somewhere that's labeled poop tape that is just a song about poops um and I think I think one of them let's see one of them goes uh uh you know what it really takes two people it's a two-part harmony (laughs) Um, I'll have to record it using, you know, using some dubbing techniques. But basically, uh, going to the toilet is such an adventure. It's one that I so joyously embark upon. I love the sound of pee. (laughs) It's so beautiful to me. And then you poop and then you stand back up again. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Very thorough. Kids. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I forgot to wipe, though. There was nothing about wiping in the whole song. No, you missed a huge step. But are you an animal? <laughs> we knew about the toilet paper shortage of the future. Yeah. It was prescient. <laughs> oh, God. I would love to hear some of those songs. I hope she sends some. Yeah, I love that. The best songs really come from poop humor. As a kid, the best parody songs. Mm-hmm. Oh, and as adults. Yeah, I agree. But I'm partial to this, we all know. Uh, okay, next up is from Liz from New Jersey. This past weekend, I was finally able to visit my parents and my younger sister, who lives with them in Pennsylvania now that their county turned yellow. My parents are conservative, Trump-supporting Catholics who only watch Fox News. Over the course of the weekend, we had lots of conversations, and at one point, the topic of the protest came up. I spent 30 minutes trying to convey all the reasons that black and brown people in this country have to be both angry and scared, and generally trying to get them to imagine what it would be like if they had to live like that. They also let me read them the op-ed by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar expressing a lot of the same things. While they pushed back with a lot of the normal white people's reactions, not understanding their privilege, I was glad we kept the conversation civil and was hoping they would take it to heart. After I went home, my sister texted me that she overheard them later that, that night talking in the next room, asking each other if they had been brainwashed by Fox News and if they need to try to jump around between other stations and talking differently about all the protests and things we discussed. I was so overjoyed and since then, my sisters and I have been trying to send them different articles, especially the ones that showed both Pat Robertson and the Washington, D.C. Archbishop calling out Trump for his photo op and handling of the protests. I'm not sure if they'll change their vote, but it's a start. Thank you for all that you do and for your humor while doing it. Love you, gals. Yes, huge oh, success. That's so awesome. Great, great success. That is yeah, and great and success. maybe maybe you could steer them in the direction of the Lincoln Project. I'm not familiar. Which is, you know, a bunch 
um, the Lincoln Project, they put out the ads. It's like Rick Wilson and uh, it's all the Republicans against Trump, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and they have this giant coalition. They're spending millions of dollars with these incredible ads that they put out. And it's, yeah, it's just basically all these, you know, all the never Trumpers, um, mm-hmm. Joe Walsh. Uh, and James those, Mattis? The, that type, you know. I know he's not a never Trumper. Uh, no. But, but like. No, probably not. No, but I'm just talking about examples of other people that are, you know, typically regarded oh. with respect in the conservative realm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. That have gone out against stuff that Trump has done. Yeah, that's that's incredible. General Milley, who is a current, you know, uh, chief of the or head of the Joint Chiefs. Mm-hmm. So definitely there is no shortage of Republicans and conservatives that are against this man. John Seifer, Joe Walsh. Uh, Rick Wilson, all those guys. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you count Justin Amash in that, but um, he's he's not a he's no Joe Walsh. He's no Tea Party Republican turned anti-Trump. <laughs> he's starting from well, he he was a Tea Party Republican. He was Justin Amash was. Uh huh. Yeah, he's a bastard asshole. Oh my god, I did not know that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he's a dickhead. Interesting. Yeah, I did not know that. Well. God damn. How the fuck? Uh, <laughs> fucking. I will forever hate Sharon Angle. Growing up <laughs> growing up in in Vegas, she was like this Tea Party Republican that just was largely at the, the head of that movement in Nevada. And I, I still remember my friend Ryan. He had uh, he came into school one day with a giant ass bumper sticker on his binder that said Sharon Angle is a cunt. <laughs> I was like, where did you, where, where did you get this? It was just amazing. <laughs> like, that is definitely, uh, yeah, I don't know. You probably have to make that. Yeah, sticker, I don't honestly. know where he got it. Nevada's crazy because it's like, <laughs> it's, it's very, very, very conservative in so many areas. And then there's just, you know, like a very vocal and empowered and moving progressive democratic wing yeah there's a massive progressive pocket and it sort of is popping up in different places i think it'll i think it'll congeal soon so Definitely. hopefully that'll make some differences there 100 percent. um i think we have time for one more yes i have one more perfect okay so finally from keila hey ladies my husband the one that buddha judged himself and i live in a suburb of dallas texas <laughs> super republican area he isn't a political junkie but he does keep up with the news since forever he's been a my vote doesn't matter person which has been a major sticking point for me however he's recently found the light and asked me to help him register to vote and even said we needed a biden yard sign this is the same person that begrudgingly caved to my desire for a beto yard sign in 2018 it gives me hope that other non-voters in texas will be equally as fucking fed up and uh, will register to vote fucking turn texas blue in 2020 side note he has since given himself another haircut and the second time was a vast improvement all around growth over here (laughs) (laughs) hell yeah (laughs) new haircuts and political sentiments they go hand in hand (laughs) be careful what you choose (laughs) don't buddha judged himself i remember that that's That's so so funny um well that's wonderful though i mean you know when you think about that kind of coming along um i really do appreciate that i i think i think i put out a tweet saying uh and i think i was sort of going off of something that common had said he's like if your vote didn't matter they wouldn't try so hard to oppress it yep so 
yep so vote vote numbers too big to manipulate do it do it do it mm-hmm. and um thank you all for your good news submissions this is seriously the best part of my day and uh i'll tell you what everybody um well jordan do you have any final thoughts before i um i'm doing a their movement for black lives is doing uh well this won't be on time there's a webinar for like the for organizing stuff that's going to happen this weekend. Pardon the sirens. Uh but I think there's probably stuff going around. I already mentioned this before, but just check check in on your like, you know, local black leadership and see if there's any stuff that they need accomplices to do leading up to the weekend. Well, this weekend? Um this will be out before this weekend. Yeah, no, the thing I was going to say is like a specific Zoom call happening at 4 p.m. Pacific today just to like talk through stuff, but it's it's uh. nothing that I'm sure isn't being replicated across all major cities and less major yeah. and minor cities. <laughs> Get involved where you can, for sure. Yes. <laughs> Um, all right, everybody, thank you so much. Thank you for all of the good news. Please keep sending it in. Uh, you can do that at our pin tweet um, at Daily Beans Pod, or you can go to the dailybeanspod.com and submit there. And then you can also, while you're there, submit any quarantine confessions you have. We have a new episode coming out Saturday of that new podcast, a spinoff from the Daily Beans. It's just a wildly popular segment that blew up overnight. So uh, definitely send your confessions in. And thanks so much, everybody. Please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of your mental health, and take care of the planet. I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. And them's the Beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>